What's up, bikers? Welcome to episode 152 of the Biker Bar podcast live stream. Nailed the intro today. I feel like I've been doing this for a while. Apparently, it has been 152 episodes. Thank you all that are um, here revisiting. Thank you to you guys that are coming for your first time. Really means a lot. I just swung by the Apple podcast to look at the reviews and a couple of guys like Uber Sai and Superflog or Flug. I don't know. You can tell me how you pronounce it, but I great reviews over there. Every mountain biker should be listening a peek behind the mountain bike curtain. I really appreciate that. Those of you guys that um, want to help get the word out about this podcast, do me a favor, shoot over there, write a five-star review. It really makes a difference on how the podcast gets shared out there and how people can find it. So let's make this the number one M MTB podcast. I mean, I, I honestly enjoy reading the, uh, the reviews and so many people on there are saying that this is their favorite. So it really, really keeps the stoke level high. Those of you that want to want to really like put in the extra effort and help me out, this is a grassroots kind of thing that I'm doing here. I'm not getting paid by a bunch of bike companies or anything like that. It's really just the supporters on Patreon. So there's people over there throwing a dollar at me, kind of like get your bartender to pour you a beer, you give them an extra buck. Or there's some people that are in the little five dollar tier. You get some some sticker packs, and uh, honestly, right now I'm throwing in a little little pretty rad little stainless steel. Uh, biker mountain or biker um what the hell am i trying to say biker bottle opener that's what it is like size of a credit card super cool looking anyways i really appreciate the support over there on patreon it means a lot and it's honestly the guys over there that are guys and gals that are that are helping contribute to that that really keep this thing going there's always some kind of weird expense coming up and um it's uh it's cool to, to see some people that really want to help support. So I really appreciate everybody over there. You guys are the number one uh, supporters of this, this show and uh, actually both channels. So if you're not familiar, I also have a POV channel called Biker, B1KER, obviously. <laughs> That's on YouTube. I do some, uh, some pretty fun content. Just did a ride back in Pennsylvania or a video on a ride back in Pennsylvania. And um, that was really fun, man. A lot, a lot of good re uh, reception on that one as well. So if you're into that kind of content, take a look at that as well. Anyways, there's some free stuff out there like this. You can just listen, hit the thumbs up, hit subscribe, or you can swing by Instagram or Facebook. Give me a follow. Those things are all free. And uh, no matter what, man, I really appreciate everybody being here. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and pull Chris from Noble, the brand manager. <laughs> How's it going, man? Nailed it. You nailed yeah, it, man. Yeah, no, it's going really, really well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, totally, dude. I'm too like really stoked that I, I ran into you at Sea Otter and we're we're just chatting. And next thing you know, here we are. We're on the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was uh, was that your? So you've obviously been down to Sea Otter quite a few times, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, a handful of years now. It's been interesting to see it like come up and go down, and you know, the whole pandemic thing kind of threw a monkey wrench in it. But was that your first yeah. time? Yeah, so my background actually is, is in the music industry. So I, I've, I've been to a number of different types of festivals, but that was my first like big bike festival. Um, uh -huh. When I started with the company, it was in the middle of COVID. So it just felt really insulated. Like obviously I was sending emails, kind of meeting people and like making relationships in the industry. Um, but really, you know, last year we, 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 we opted not to do any shows just because things were just starting back up again. Um, and 2023 is kind of the first year we invested in getting back out there and, and doing some of these public trade shows. And I was just like blown away. I couldn't believe the scope of the thing, man. Like every time I left oh, yeah. the tent, 
I just get lost and like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's grips there. There's like bikes there. It's just absolutely, absolutely crazy how big it was. It was, uh, it was yeah. a real blast being down there. Yeah, definitely. It's a little overwhelming. I think the first time I went, I mean, it was just like, wow, there is so much to look at. And even I, I typically go Thursday and Friday just because it's a little easier to talk to, to like people like you on there. And because the weekend, you know, it, it just got insane over the weekend. And uh, yeah. even in those two days, I, I'll be walking. I'm, I'll be like, all right, I'm leaving right now. And and I feel like I've talked to everybody I want to talk to. And in the like the time of walking from one side of the fest to the other, which ends up taking me like three hours, I, I end up talking to like 15 other people. And I'm like, holy cow, I didn't even know I wanted to talk to them. Or you know what I mean? It was like just yeah. a really, really fun time. Yeah. I mean, the scope of it is just immense. And I think the really challenging thing for us as a brand, I mean, you know, we, we're a relatively small co company in the, in the grand scope of things. So for us, it's, you know, how do we, how do we stand out at this thing? You know, how do we really kind of communicate to the public, you know, our company DNA and what, what we do here at Noble, but um, we, we had a blast. Like we did, I'm not sure if you saw, but we did like a wheel set giveaway on the Saturday um, oh, and rather awesome. than just like do something conventional. We, uh, at the start of the day, I threw up on Instagram whoever comes by the tent with the shortest jean shorts, we're going to give a wheel set away to like a full carbon wheel set. Um, and like, it was a riot, man. Like we had guys all day coming by the tent with these, like, and the first ones were like, you know, regular kind of like, you know, Daisy Duke style shorts. Right. Um, and then by the end of the day, we had this rule where you were allowed one recut, but you couldn't see the, you know, the sizes that had come by already. And by the end of the day, man, this guy cut his jean shorts it was like literally like this, like it was like a jean thong. So if you go onto our Instagram, you'll be able to see a picture of me. His name was Spencer and he, man, brand new wheel set. And uh, he walked around the festival with a little jean thong on for Saturday. So that was a win in my books. Oh, that's awesome, man. That sounds like a really good time. Yeah. It's it's cool when you come up with something like that, that's um, a little bit better than like, like and follow and, and subscribe to these three uh, places and we'll, we'll randomly pick somebody out of this list. You know, that's, that's really cool. For sure. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And I mean, I'm sure you run up to that. All the, you probably run into that all, all the time with, with what you're doing too, right? How to be creative and think outside the box a little bit too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the name of the game, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to come up with that stuff too. And I, I you know, sometimes people are, oh so and so did that you know you can't it's like yeah dude if you can't f copy some other people's things that are successful then you're you're um you're doing it wrong everybody's gonna have their own spin so it's okay to do that as well but yeah that's a great idea before we get uh started so you said you were in the music industry what'd you do there yeah so i was uh i kind of you got out of high school and i told myself oh, i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it five years doing this music thing and, uh, you know, five years turned to, turned to six years, turned to seven. And I, I always had, you know, just enough success and I think was, was kind of progressing enough that it made sense to, to stay involved with it. Um, and it was definitely my passion growing up. I kind of was, you know, sleeping on floors across the country in like, you know, kind of harder rock bands when I was younger. And then mm -hmm. um, in 2010, I launched a solo career as a singer-songwriter um, and released a couple records um, under the, my name, just my, my, that moniker. Um, and then most recently, I was part of a, a, like a folk rock trio called Lion Bear Fox. Um, and, and we had a really, we worked together for eight years and uh, were able to tour internationally, Europe and Canada and the States. And uh, it, was, it was an absolute blast. Um, had wow. the time of my life. Um, and, you know, we were, we were all three, it was three singers. We all had 
uh, big personalities and um, it just, it kind of naturally just came to a conclusion. And uh, it, it was during that time, I can't, you know, I, I had lived in the North shore in, in Vancouver um, for, for about a decade and I really just kind of started to mountain bike and hike and that became my new passion. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when, when the band, when the band kind of, um, you know, finished up, I, I was left with this, a bit of a void in my life. Like, you know, what's, what's the next step going to be, you know, what am I going to do next? And, um, luckily, you know, when you're running a band, it's actually very similar to running your own small business. You come up, you know, nowadays, you know, back in the day, you'd have a, a record label, you know, they would do all your publicity, they do all your marketing, you know, they would you'd press the records for you, handle all the sales and all that sort of stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, any, any artists in any medium are being asked to do all of their own Instagram, all their own marketing, uh, music is streaming, so you have this incredible control over what you release and, and when you release it and how it looks to the public. Um, so it turned out I had all these skills that were actually really transferable to uh, any any different types of business, right? And so um, when when the owner moved the moved Noble Wheels over to the island where I was residing at the time, it, it was just a really obvious. I, I saw the listing and I'd fallen in love with mountain biking, and it was just an obvious fit to jump in and. And just yeah. get started. It was it was challenging and scary, but um, yeah. I'm sure glad I did. Right on, man. I uh, I used to play guitar. My my original uh, aspirations in life was to to be in the music industry as well, and did a little bit of band stuff, but nothing nothing too nothing like what you were saying. And then I was going to school for studio recording, and um, yeah, here I am <laughs> now. Yeah. And I, I'm guy, sure you, you know. <laughs> Did you get, uh, so I ask everyone this, like everyone that was in the industry or played an instrument, I'm sure that you were involved in music long enough, no matter like what level you got to, that you probably have one insane music related story. Oh man, that would, I would have to sit here and think about exactly what, what I wanted to come up with and what was like safe for podcasts. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's exactly what I mean. The fact that you just, uh, the fact that you just said that it proved, proved yeah. my point once again, for sure. Yeah. But, um, I think, I think it's, there, there's definitely, um, some parallels between like biking and, and music, at least for me. And, and the biggest parallel is just the, the passion that I have for it, you know? And whenever I like music was like the thing that I did all the time. And that was like what I, how all my friends were made. All of us played an instrument or sang or did something, you know what I mean? It was like, if we were going to go hiking, it was like, yeah, we're going to go up there. We're going to like jam for a little bit and then go like hike through the woods. Or we're going to like, we're going to go crash on this beach, but we're really like, you know, going to go down, drink some beers and make some music, you know? And um, it's kind of the same thing with biking where it's, it, it, it totally, at least for me and the friend groups that I have, it's all encompassing. And with biking, it's basically that same thing because you have this fitness level that you're trying to stay after or this uh, this uh, skill set level. And in order to keep it, you got to keep doing it, right? And the same thing with music. Like, yeah. I can pick up my guitar and I can still play some old Nirvana song I used to play all the time. But I'm like one song in and my fingers are hurting and I'm like kind of like, hey, this is good. And, you know, I'm not hitting the hitting whatever, you know, strings right or something like that. Same thing with mountain bikes. It's you have to stay on it. And the best way to stay on it is like your friend group. You know what I mean? So, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely a big passion, though. And that, that's, you know, one of the things I always told my kids when they were growing up, just do whatever makes you happy and you'll be successful. Like it doesn't like, don't worry about money or anything. Cause it'll happen. Like just do what makes you happy. And, um, yeah, 
I know it's worked for me so far. So like, <laughs> so you were saying Noble was originally up in the, in the van, in the uh, BC area or something, or where are they from? Yeah. So the, the company was originally formed in the Fraser Valley um, in, in the, in the Chilliwack Abbotsford area. So that's where like Vetter Mountain is, Sumas Mountain. Um, and it was formed in 20, 2012 uh, was when they started up and then so just, uh, operated just, there. Just to- yeah. Just, just to like clarify for people that aren't very geographically oriented, this is on the yeah, like sure. kind of west coast of Canada, right? Close to America. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, from Seattle, you'd be looking at like a three hour drive north from Seattle. That's where you'd hit Vancouver. Um, you know, Whistler, um, as a good point of reference, would be like an hour and a half north from Vancouver. So we refer to that region as kind of the sea to sky region. So Vancouver, mm-hmm. Squamish, Whistler, Pemberton, um, th- that's north of Vancouver. Uh, the Fraser Valley is just east of Vancouver. So that's where mm-hmm. Abbotsford, Chilliwack is. And there's some incredible, incredible riding out there. Um, and so Trevor is the, the owner of the company. Um, he formed the, the business in 2012. Um, and at the time, he started manufacturing carbon rims um, that were really quite a bit wider at that time than, than, what, um, than, than what was popular um, mm-hmm. in those years. And so one of the first company taglines was, was Noble um, wide carbon wide carbon rims because they were mm-hmm. they, they were just a lot wider than what was currently available in the market at that time so mm-hmm. um there, there was some significant growth over that time um but really i think uh over the last couple of years you know like a lot of other bike brands we saw some really explosive growth um trevor made the choice to move the business over to the island in 2021 which is when i joined the team um and i think at that time uh there's you know i think six or six or seven people um, and I think we're now 21 or 22. So it's really, really grown quite a bit uh, over the last over the last period of time. And um, unfortunately, it's it's been a, it's a real explosive growth, which is which is not always easy to plan around or or build around mm-hmm. as as a brand. Um, but we've been fortunate in, in that we've been able to hire some really really exceptional people. Um, company culture is a huge thing here, and and uh, we've been able to hire some people that are really passionate about what they do work really hard. And, and as a result, we've been able to, um, I think, really build out some processes that are keeping the brand strong and, and making sure that we're still shipping out um, premium product, even though we're busier than ever, um, which is always mm-hmm. something that's been really important to us. Where do you guys, where do you guys manufacture at? Yeah, so we build the rims by hand here now in the, so we're in the Comox Valley. So now we're based on Vancouver Island. So to use Whistler as an example, again, if you're, you know, just south to Vancouver, we're about an hour and a 40 minute ferry ride over to Vancouver Island. But the island itself is huge. So, I mean, it would probably take you seven, eight hours to drive kind of tip, tip on the island. And we're, we're roughly central. So uh, we're, you know, just steps away from, you know, world class single track here in Cumberland. Uh, you know, got five or six different networks in the area. We also have surfing about two hours away, the ski hills right here. So it's a good place to, good pace to be if you like living outside, uh, being outside rather. Um, so everything here is manufactured by hand. The rims, themse- the rims themselves are made overseas. Um, we have, you know, I don't want to get too specific, but we have a fairly, um, I'd say we have some ownership stake in, in two different factories overseas. So we have, mm-hmm. I mentioned that because we have very stringent, um, we have, we have, we're a big part of the manufacturing process and the QC process. And um, I'm really, really happy with the quality of the, the, the rims that we manufacture and bring in for Noble. Um, and once they arrive here, we basically manufacture the wheels all 100% by hand. Um, nothing is pre-built. We don't have like a bunch of, we don't have five wheel sets that we build here. Um, essentially for us, customers reach out, 
we ask them, where are you riding? What are you riding? What kind of bike is it? How much travel? Um, what do you want it to feel like? And then from that, um, from that conversation, we then custom build that, that person a wheel set um, mm -hmm. using, a, using our catalog of, of rims. So, you know, if that means, you know, we're using, you know, say we're going to use a TR37, which is like our all mountain enduro rim with a Chris King hub and, you know, Sapim D-Light spokes um, mm -hmm. and everything's fully custom. So that means nipple colors are all different. Hub colors are all different. Um, we print and manufacture our own vinyl. So we basically can color match. We can completely customize each individual wheel for each customer. Um, it's not a matter of someone saying like, oh, hey, I want, you know, model four. And we go pull it off the shelf, put it in a box and, and yeah. ship it out. Um, it's, uh, that's what makes the business so hard and complex to run. But that's mm -hmm. why we love the business. Because it's just truly, it's, we're making products that we want to ride personally. And I, I think that's why it's working so well. Yeah, yeah. I, I now it makes sense when you were walking through the uh, the office there earlier. I saw a, a bunch of different colors hanging on something, and I was like, "Man, it looks like they're printing something." So you're doing your your uh, that's your vinyl. So it makes sense to me now. Right on. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I and the other thing, like to go along with what you were just saying, when I was on the website, there's a a bunch of different hubs to choose from, and a lot of other wheel companies. Yeah. It's kind of like you can either buy hoops. Or you can buy like, hey, here's our wheel set with an i9 and that's it, you know? So uh, yeah. it, it, I, I personally think that, you know, that's nice that they do it that way. But um, for somebody that's been riding a while, you usually have a, a preference on how you want your hubs to engage or like maybe what you're familiar with working on or whatever. And to like kind of be stuck into just the, the one you know, hub that they sell and then otherwise having to go through a reseller. It, it's, in my opinion, it's kind of lame, you know, like yeah. I, I think that's awesome to have the ability to just make that choice. And then also just make that choice, like direct with the, the, like the manufacturer as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think especially it's important when we're talking about a wheel set that's, you know, between 12 and 1500 bucks. Like, I mean, people are spending a lot of money on this stuff. And, you know, for me, if I'm going to spend that much money on something and really invest in a product that's got a lifetime warranty um, that I'm not going to have to think about in the future, I want it to be exactly what I want. You know, I don't want to just yeah. take a black hub and a black rim and, oh, okay, maybe I can put a sticker on it or it's got the brand sticker on it. Um, we can by all means do stuff that's understated, but the important thing is that every single we, we if you order a wheel set, it's for you. So what do you yeah. want? We'll build it. If you want black on black on black and that, great men, we'll do it, but we'll do it better than everybody else. And we'll make sure that it's personalized for you. Someone builds it for you and ships it out. Um, Cause I think that, you know, with, with that price point, it's really important. People are getting something that that's premium and obviously a really excellent um, and stringent, you know, QC check and making sure things are built correctly is, is premium. But custom to order is also premium, and that's a big part of what we focus on here is just making sure it's exactly what the customer wants. Um, we send stuff out, like we use a uh, PD's uh, uh, tape and valve system too. So just when you, when you get our wheels and you come out of the box, they're just like, they're ready to go and they're exactly what you ordered. That's, that's the story that, that we want every customer to feel when they're, when they're ordering wheels from us. Yeah, and then you can actually have control over how the wheel is built as well. And um... The very first custom wheel set that I ever got, that was the most valuable thing that I learned from my friends that had had their own, you know, they were like, go to a good wheel builder. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, for you guys, you could sh send your hoops to some shop or whatever, and you don't know how that guy's going to build your wheel. And at the end of the day, mm -hmm. if he does a crappy job, 
um, you could have, it, it could be easier to have a failure, you know? And, uh, and, and then what, what do people think? They don't think like, Hey, Joe's bike shops, like, made this wheel fail they're like no noble made this wheel fail you know so <laughs> yeah um, this wheel so sucks basically is what right thinking, right and then they go tell all their friends yeah. and you know and, and it's it's just uh i i um i think it's cool i think it's cool that you guys are are you know going the extra mile and having all that done in hand you said you're, you're doing by hand as well yeah everything's done everything's done by hand and i mean you make a really really good point about um you know wheel builds and you're absolutely right that not only can a wheel just ride, the ride quality won't be as good, but it can really lead to premature failures or if things aren't built right and tensions aren't even across the across the wheel, it can cause a whole host of problems, not the least of which is a failure, but like even stuff like retruing. My favorite thing is when people come up to us at places like Sea Otter, which happened countless times when we were there. And they're like, oh, hey, I bought like some some wheels four years ago and like I haven't had them retruned, you know? Um, yeah. That to me is the indication that we're building a really high quality product. We don't use anything here that's low grade. Everything's Supreme. We do use some pillar products. Um, and uh, so everything we use is premium because we're trying to make something that's, that's better than everything else that's out there. So um, that's why we build everything by hand. That's why, you know, even when stuff's going out the door, we have like, we have a we have like a wheel fanatic uh, like a digital tester where like we can actually check the tension on each spoke and it's measured and put into a spreadsheet before we ship wheels out the door. So um, we're paying attention to those details. And further to that, your comment about the hubs is it's nice for colors and and, and you know, that sort of thing in terms of aesthetics to have the other options. But I'm sure you've ridden a number of different hubs now in in your time riding bikes. And so you can attest to the fact that like you know riding a Chris King hub is going to feel way way different than a DT350 versus an onyx vesper you know as an example and we want to be able to offer customers everything some some people oh, i want the loudest hub you know they want an i9 hydro yeah. they want people to hear them that yeah. was me a couple of years ago other people want silence and that's what the, what that's what the onyx vesper gives you right so it's it just really gives you options for everyone yeah yeah i'm trying to wheel build with the onyx right now i haven't ridden those yet so i'm really curious yeah. to see like how i feel about them i've i've um pretty much been mostly on on project 321 hubs for the last 10 years but here and there it'd be like an i9 that slips in or you know like a bike that i bought came with it or something like that and uh um overall i think initially i really liked the loud kind of like what you were saying but yeah. man doing doing social oh god it's like it's like so divisive to like everybody on the internet on how loud your hubs are it's like <laughs> You just get so many comments like, oh my God, those hubs are so loud. And then like, some of those are like, they're stoked about it. And some of them, they're like pissed about it. And like, yeah, I yeah. found that, that going a little quieter is a little better. Plus then you can like picture, like pick up more of like the trail noise and stuff like that. Cause man, those I-9s, when you don't, um, when you don't service them regularly, those things, they're like, there's a swarm of bees following me right now. <laughs> Yeah. And like, we get, we get crazy requests, man. Like for those hydras, we, uh, I would say like two, three times a week and Chris Kings too, but mostly hydras. We get like customer requests, like open up the free hub, take out every ounce of oil that's in there. Like, or like they don't want any grease in the free hub at all. Oh, I think wow. one guy even was like, Oh, put some rubbing alcohol in there. Like I want it as loud as possible. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, it's super divisive. Like, I think you're right. You could ask any, if you ask 10 people on the trail, loud hub or quiet hub, you, no one would have a medium opinion. Like everyone no. would either be like, 
loud 100% or quiet 100%. And uh, to Onyx hubs, I actually didn't think I would like the silence at first, but I got a chance to ride them last year. Um, and two things I noticed right away that I felt a little bit, uh, because they were so new to me, it felt a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word jarring, but it just felt like, oh, wow, it really was noticeable more so than I would have thought. Um, the, the engagement, obviously, on those Onyx hubs is instantaneous. Um, mm -hmm. But it's more of a it's a more of a gradual. Um, it, it, it's not a it's not a sudden force. It, it kind of eases into the engagement, I would say. Um, but and also the silence, of course. And once you get used to that instant engagement, I know there's all sorts of arguments to be made about mm -hmm. whether or not the suspension kinematics work better or worse. Once you get used to that engagement, though, it's really hard to move back to something that's that's got a, a fair bit of lower engagement, um, especially if you're the type of rider that's riding, you know, slow speed. Uh, yeah. tech steep stuff or you need to you need to kick drop off stuff you know when you're used to kind of getting that right away um it's it's tough to go back and then with, with the silence too i thought i would hate it but man as long as your bike's quiet and you maintain yeah. your bike and it's not jangling everywhere um ripping through the trails whisper silent man is like it's something to behold yeah. as long as you're not in grizzly country right right yeah no it's definitely um it's interesting. I, I, I've, I've been riding the higher engagement hubs, you know, for a long time. And I can tell you that's one of the very first things I noticed when I get on a demo bike is like what, like how much engagement's on the hub, because you just notice it like instantly when you're trying to ratchet through some tech or whatever. And that, that engagement isn't there. It's just like, it, it, it's almost like, debilitating in the ride like it's so irritating <laughs> you know yeah for sure one of my buddies just recently he had had i9 wheels and uh he wanted to get a new bike and he was going to buy the frame but you know frame costs let's just say 4500 bucks and it just so happened to be with all these sales that were going on he could get the lowest end model just for the same price right maybe yeah. it was like couple hundred bucks more or something like that. But either way, it was like, oh, I'll just get this and then I'll start swapping my parts out, but I'll have a whole bike. And, you know, whenever I decided to sell that, I can throw all that old crap back on there, you know? And uh, sure. so it came with, of course, the lowest end wheels. And he was like, oh my God, I can't get rid of these wheels fast enough. Like it, it was yeah. just, uh, it was interesting hearing him talk about, you know, how bad it was like messing up his ride riding. And he's a really good rider. So it's not like, it's not like, um, yeah, it was, it was just really interesting to hear, hear that for sure. So, um, yeah. So when you guys first started, it was like just mountain biking or, or did Noble start with a couple uh, of wheels? You said wide. So I'm assuming it was just a mountain bike wheel set. Yeah. So started with mountain bike for sure. Um, I think on balance, uh, I mean, most, a lot, some of that catalog is no longer around. We don't, we don't sell all of it anymore, obviously. Um, but we do still sell three rims that were really, really popular, um, from when we first started out, uh, we, we continually refine all the layups, um, but we still have a TR 33, which is, you know, originally kind of, um, an all mountain wheel set, I guess you would say, um, a TR 36, which was like more of a, a wider version of the 33 and then we had a tr38 um which is which is more, the more gravity focused rim um and is all that number those, is that number the is that number the internal or the external that that's the external width okay that's the external i mean width. just so uh, and, so i can like kind of make sense of what, what we're talking about then so the 33 yeah, is probably yeah. like a 28 internal or something like that 
Yeah, exactly. So 33 is 27 internal, the 36 is 30 internal, and the TR38 is 31 internal. And it's been really excellent to see, even though these rims, are, these are the more conventional. If you look at our rims now, our sine wave series, you probably saw them at the show. They kind of have that, that kind of bumpy sine wave design on the rim profile itself. Um, that's our new, those are, that's our newer series of rims. That's the TR32, 35, 37, and 41. Again, that's the external. Um, but it's been really amazing to see how these older rims with the more conventional rim profile shape have aged over the years. Um, the 33 in particular, uh, has started to become a go-to for adventure riders. We started drilling it out in 24 hole, 28 hole, because people that are bike packing, really long distance touring riders that like want to save weight, but they also don't want to have like a paper thin, um, you know, like a road or gravel wheel. If they're going to be way out in the backcountry with, you know, 40, 50 pounds on their bike. It's mm -hmm. been crazy to see how many, how many of those 33s have, have transitioned into that type of wheel. We still get people occasionally ordering them for, for, for mountain bike use, but it's been nice to see that the product kind of age in that way and, and kind of find a whole new use case. Um, and then for the 38s, they've kind of remained our main gravity rim. Um, we, we always um, go through and, and re redo the layups year over year and just based on the based on the um the real world testing that we see if we feel like there's improvements that need to be made we're always improving even the, the oldest series of rims uh mm -hmm. but the 38s are again something that i run on my forbidden dreadnought um and we sell a ton of those to people riding dh and enduro riders they're kind of our most uh, you know our, our burliest gravity rim but that's how we started out um recently just this past year um uh, two years ago we launched um like a, like a road gravel uh, rim. Uh, we do it mm -hmm. in both a hookless and a clincher. Um, and we do it in two depths now. So we do it in a 35 mil depth and a 45 mil depth. Um, and, and like everything else that we do, the idea there is that it's fully custom. So if someone wants a 35 mil front, uh, so it's a little, so it feels a bit more compliant, um, a little more comfortable uh, with the shallow rim up front and then a 45 out back where it's gonna be stiffer and obviously a little more responsive, then we can do a 35, 45 mixer um, so it gives us an opportunity to not only service mountain bike riders, uh, but if there are people that are looking for gravel wheels, road wheels, we have a really exceptional all-round product that will work for, for, for a lot of riders. Right on, man. So like, basically you'll be able to cover, you know, all the different bikes that somebody is going to be riding. Yeah. I mean, that's the plan. I think that, you know, I'm sure, you know, some guys that, that ride road bikes and, uh, you know, my, my friends that are road bikers are they do tend to be uh, quite particular in terms of, um, you know, widths and, and depths of their rims. So I don't know if we, I don't know if every single road rider out there would be, would be, you know, the most happy with what we offer, but given the amount of, you know, like looking around the industry and seeing what we thought was the best all round road gravel rim, that's what we've constructed. It's basically two different depths um, mm -hmm. of, of what we would consider to be the ideal the ideal width of that rim and um, ideal ride quality. Yeah. It's really hard for me to um, justify a road bike nowadays with how good gravel bikes are, you know? And um, yeah, people that work in my show a lot, they, they probably heard me rant about this a bunch, but um, I don't know, man. I just like the idea of the gravel bike and like how much more versatile it is. Yeah. So you, you, you can still put like, it's surprising even with the like the knobby wheels on your gravel bike it's not a at least i'm no lance armstrong right so it's not like a <laughs> like i put on knobby wheels and all of a sudden i'm riding two miles an hour slower it, it's yeah for sure pretty much the exact same speed like you might notice yeah. a little bit of drag but 
for the most part, I don't know. I'm also a guy that wears baggy clothes when I'm riding gravel as well. So I'm not like all kitted out and aerodynamic because it just doesn't work with a beer belly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel your pain there. Uh, I, I tend to agree with you. Like I think those new gravel bikes are so capable. I only got, I only got into riding gravel like maybe two years ago. I picked up a, a salsa warbird, I think it is. Um, mm -hmm. And like, man, it's, I'm actually really surprised by how much I liked it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always looked at those and I was like, okay, like maybe use it to like ride to the brewery or like whatever you're going to do. Um, but I got it and I started riding with my buddies that would do these gravel rides. And suddenly we're out there doing, you know, like 70, 80 K rides, you know, in the area that we're in, there's like mountains and lakes. And like, it's just such a great exploration tool. That's what like got me yeah. so stoked on it is like, you can put on some beefy tires and like be relatively sure that you're going to be good to go on your bike even though you might have to ride a bit slower and then you can ride single track you can like get to places where even dirt bikes can't get you know throw the bike on your back it's so light so that's what that's what really excites me about gravel biking i just i thought i would hate it i was like oh man like, yeah. i don't want to you know there's mountains there why what am i doing yeah. here like you know yeah but, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah i love it i like the fact that you can just walk out your door with it you know like yeah like i don't have to drive anywhere to do my road gravel ride you know i can just open up my garage pedal out and get to something that way where if i'm mountain biking it's at least 30 minutes for me i'm not as fortunate as probably the area you're in you're like yeah it's like five minutes <laughs> like yeah. but uh um so it that portion of it i really like and honestly it's a it's a different kind of of workout that i think really gives you a good cross training for mountain biking so like you build this um stamina or, or endurance is what i would say is like you're being able to hold a high wattage for a long period of time and then that really yeah. transfers well over into mountain biking because then in mountain biking you get all these like little breaks you know what i mean you might be at let's just say you know 300 watts or 350 watts but it's like this short little spurt and then boom, you're back to like 180 and like chilling or you're not pedaling at all because you're going downhill. And and um, whenever you, you've trained to like keep your your muscles at this like higher engagement level for long periods of time, then when you get out mm -hmm. on the mountain bike, it just really um, it just really helps a lot. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what the I don't know what the word for that is, but like it's um, there's something like I feel like with mountain biking, it's a lot more uh, like interval, like you're kind of spiking your yeah. heart rate, I feel like more so. Whereas I found with gravel, um, I, I by no means am I like I don't have like all the data for it, but yeah. uh, I found that my my heart rate is just more uh, just more, I would say, like more. It's, it's constant, like it's it's yeah. definitely not quite not quite as up and down. So it sounds like um, it sounds like are, are you when you're out mountain biking, like, do you have like a watt, like a, like the, the equipment to measure, to measure wattage? Like, are you looking at that data every time? So let me tell you, I would a hundred percent six months ago, make fun of anybody that said anything about watts. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a confessional right now. Like you're, you're giving me the, you got to get this off your chest. <laughs> oh my God, dude. So this winter, I, I don't know how it was for you guys, but here in Northern California, we just got dumped on like no tomorrow and normally i i i ride like my strava average says six days a week so like i ride a lot you know what i mean wow. and uh yeah. and typically 
when it's raining in Northern California, it'll be like, oh, a day off here. And so maybe in the winter, I'm like riding four days a week because it's like it rained a little bit or it was only sprinkling so I could get away with it, you know. And uh, this year, it just rained so much that I, I had to do something else and finally broke down and was like, all right, I'm going to do this trainer thing. <clears throat> so I started doing Zwift which was another thing I would have totally made fun of people for because it's like, why do you want to ride a bike inside when you can go outside? But um, here, you know, that's, this is, this is like, I don't know, maybe my privilege of living in Northern California where we can ride most of the year. And uh, next thing you know, I'm doing this with thing. And, and now because you're watching the Watts, you really start like questioning, like, well, how much am I pushing on like that big climb, you know? And, and, mm -hmm. um, so um just recently i i got um here, here's a, a a sneak preview for people i'm doing a video on an e like gravel bike versus an analog bike and i wanted to like my idea is you know everybody's always like hey an e-bike is like the same workout except for you just go further and i yeah, personally sure. yeah I, I personally don't believe that every time i hear it so I went out and because of like doing this with thing, I'm like, I want to see like, maybe people are just looking at how many calories they burned or something like that. Sure. And I feel like I've seen it with friends of mine that have gone like mostly e, even on mountain bike. Like when they ride the analog bike, they're not like dropping me like they used to, you, you know, now maybe I'm dropping them. And I, so mm -hmm. my, my like hypothesis was that, that you're not like, you may be like burning the same amount of calories, but you're not working as hard you know, and yeah. because of that, you're getting weaker. And so I, I ended up buying a set of the, the pedals that have the, the watt meters in it from Garmin. And, um, it's really changed my riding, like in a way that wow. I didn't think it was going to, because, um, especially on the gravel bike, like when I would get on the gravel bike, I would just judge my, like how hard I was pushing by how fast I was going. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't know necessarily like, hey, like when you have a tailwind that's light, you don't really know that it's there. You're just like, man, I'm freaking killing it today. You know, yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah, for sure. you're like, you're like, so you're thinking, oh, man, I must be hammering because I'm at 21 miles an hour. And normally I'm at 19 or something like that. And with yeah. that power meter, it is just you look down, you know exactly how much effort you're putting in. And, and yeah. um, it's definitely changed my my because my gravel rides gravel road rides were always kind of like my off day almost like recovery type rides and like mountain biking is like really like works the shit out of you so like those road mm -hmm. rides would be a little more chill and now that i've um been using the, that power meter it's just it's crazy to me how much more effort i'm putting into my road rides and it's like really making it it's making a huge difference so i'm in the process of building new bikes this year and like selling the stuff that I have. And I've been buying power meters for the, for the new ones, just because it's like, man, I, I just want to know now all the time. <laughs> man. So what you're basically saying is you're saying Zwift is the gateway drug. Into, oh my God. <laughs> into power. You're sounding like a road rider, man. Like, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I only condone Zwift for the training programs <laughs> yeah because uh, yeah i mean, I mean um, yeah some people get on there and just ride rides i i um i i can't i it, i i have only done that once in like the 
four or five, six months now that I've had a membership. Um, but the training programs on there are just insane. Like I have never been so worked on a bike than those like one hour sessions that I've had on there. Wow. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Totally can't speak highly enough about it, but I mean, I, wow. yeah, yeah. It's just because it's based off of your FTP. So it's like your, like your personal max, let's just call it. Right. So yeah. you'll be like doing, doing like. 80% of your max and then 50% or whatever, you know, or they'll have you at 125% of your max. And, and mm -hmm. so it's not like going to a spin class and the, the instructor's like, turn it up a notch. And you're like, yeah, I feel like it's hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's legitimately yeah. like, no, we're trying to break you right now. And the screen is like an asshole. It's like, you should be feeling good right now. And you're dying. And you know, you're like, fuck <laughs> you, Swift. <laughs> you know, like, oh, man. <laughs> this sounds terrible i can't wait to oh. try it <laughs> oh yeah it's amazing but uh yeah man i i um i did a six-week program whenever i first started when the rain was really bad and when i finished that program went out and i like just smashed all my prs on climbs like it was insane how much difference and that was like i'm i was only riding one hour like every day for like five days, you know what I mean? And then I would still go out like maybe on my mountain bike on the weekends because the weather would allow or one day a week or something like that. And uh, it was really like dramatic how much of a difference that it made. But, but I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's probably like just actually doing training specifically is probably like yeah. more targeted than, than just uh, when you go out and just ride, like it's not like I'm out there just like, PR pacing at every ride I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like if, if we break it down though, like let's think about what we're talking about here because what you're talking about is you got this, you get this application where you suddenly get, or you're able to measure these elements that you're riding that you've never been able to see before. And then not only that, you're seeing yourself improve. Like you're seeing that improvement. You're seeing that progression. Right. And like, isn't that what we all love about mountain yeah. biking? Like, you the thing that i love the absolute most about mountain biking is it meets you where you are you don't have to go in over your head like if you try to do it every day you're going to ride that trail better and better okay now i'm going to try that you know six inch drop oh now i'm going to try the one foot drop and now mm -hmm. i'm up to the five foot drop or you know whatever it is same thing as guitar right man you play guitar mm -hmm. all the time you see the progression that's what that's what brings us so much joy in these things is like that that measured response that you can that you can see um and it sounds like this is exactly the same thing. And like, honestly, I was joking about you sound like a road rider, but like, dude, I want to try this now. Like I, because yeah. I know I'm the same way. Like I'm going to be like, Oh, wait a minute. I had more walks yesterday. Like, let me, and then you know what you do, you wonder about your nutrition. You're like, Oh, yeah. hold on. What did I eat last night? You know? And suddenly we're both going to have spreadsheets right, um, right, about right. our diets. Like one of our guys, Russell here, who's like an avid racer. He's got a spread. Like when he's, when he's working towards races and he's got a coach and like, they go, there's a spreadsheet with like all of his meals, all of his workouts, his sleep scores. Like, it's just this like matrix of information. I think once you start buying into it and seeing, seeing the difference those changes can make, it's hard to ignore after that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is. It, it's a, it's amazing, you know? And um, yeah, like I said, if you try it, definitely go on there. You do an FTP test whenever you first start. And then, um, Go to the training plans don't even mess around with like the regular riding and yeah. what it does is like if you have i mean obviously you need a a um trainer that that adjusts automatically for you 
And what that does then is it it's like the trainer makes you do what what it's asking you. So it's not like, yeah. you know, like, oh, this hill sucks. I can change gears because if you start pedaling slower, it's going to get harder. Yeah. Like, so it's I like, see. it's like forcing you to keep the wattage that it's asking you for. And um, those training yeah. programs, man, just really uh, can't speak highly enough about them. So yeah. anyways, um, like back to your, your wheels, would you mm -hmm. say that, that noble is more of like an overall kind of stiff wheel or like more compliant or do you guys just kind of have a little bit of, of all of the above yeah so i think the first thing i would say is that like those are terms that i think everyone likes to, to toss out when we're talking about wheels and i think there's a general sense of what each what each term means um mm -hmm. there was a time like i think when carbon was first um you know became kind of a popular um wheel wheel building material uh, there was a time where carbon wheels were just extremely stiff they were overly stiff and um maybe they were a lot lighter but like you know rider feedback was like they're just really hard to ride and that can lead to like hand fatigue and obviously just doesn't feel very pleasant to ride if it's overly stiff it might be more precise you might be able to um hold a straight line through the chunk better or whatever it is so i think our goal here specifically with the sine wave rims i mean all of our rims i think ride really well but with the sine wave series that we have now that's that's the why we have that that sine wave design in there. The idea is with that shape, we're able to keep the sidewalls nice and shallow. And if you have shallow sidewalls, that means you're going to have a lot of compliance up and down. So I think the key with any wheel is you want them to be stiff in the right places, but also have quite a bit of compliance and give in the right places. Up and down, like you'd be blown away. If you saw, if you saw like a slow motion video of you riding a wheel through some chunky stuff or through a corner, and you could zoom in on the, the wheel flex, like you would be blown away by how much your wheel is flexing. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's, that's what's giving that carbon wheel the elasticity that feels so good to push out of corners and hold tough lines and that sort of thing, where you don't want it to feel noodly as side to side. So if you're turning or, or, or trying to make a change in the direction of the bike or something like that, you want it to be stiff in those directions. So with the newest rims we have, I think we really feel like we've, we've kind of hit the it just we've really hit uh, um i think uh the sweet spot in, in what what the ride you know, the ride quality is good it feels comfortable but at the same time it's it's plenty stiff enough um where you get the benefits from from carbon in that respect as well so really i, I would say on the I, I mean i haven't ridden um i haven't ridden every other carbon room out there i would say they're probably a fair bit more compliant than most laterally mm -hmm. um uh, sorry vertically uh, my mistake uh, up and down um i would say they ride a Fair a bit more comfortably than 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 some of the other carbon wheels that I've tried, but again, it's also about rider preference. Some 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 folks will really like a super super stiff wheel. Um, I think that for most riders, ours are going to feel right, right at home. They're going to feel very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I've always tended to go the super stiff route just because I'm a big guy. So like, what yeah. might not be like what might be overly stiff for. Uh, 160 pound dude is not the same feeling for me <laughs> yeah you, you know, for so, sure uh, but but i've definitely noticed over the years that and these words like you said they're so hard to like um actually like translate from like what i say is compliant compared to what you said you know what i mean but like you yeah. i've definitely noticed that you know having a little bit more of a compliant rim it it doesn't beat you up as much. And that I think is yeah. worth something just as much as like how it turns, you know, then, um, 
because ever ever like over time fatigue is is worse than that little bit of flex you, you know what i mean so yeah yeah it's it's uh it's interesting to to try different wheels i i think for me um I know there's a lot of, of like religious banter on carbon versus aluminum. And for me as a big guy, it's like hands down, always carbon. Just, I can, it's one of those other things that I notice on, on a demo bike is instantly it would be like, oh, these are aluminum just cause I can feel yeah. that like flex so much more. And it, it's weird. I'm not a guy that normally is, um, super observant on small changes but like the wheel stuff is really sure. what what really stands out to me like like i i've had you know carbon handlebars and different brands and aluminum ones and for the most part i can't tell a difference it's like it steers the bike oh right? really okay <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. i mean and maybe yeah. and maybe if i like actually took the time to like do a run with this one and do a run with that one and like back to back like this shit has to slap me in the face, you, you know, is what I'm, I'm yeah. that kind of guy. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, sure. um, but with wheels, it's like instantly, like I, even whenever I, I started riding, um, a 29er versus a 27.5 wheel, like the first ride, like they were both carbon wheels. Like they're, they're both very built, well-built wheels, but that 29er, I just felt that flex like immediately where it, oh, wow. it took my brain a little bit to get used to it until yeah. until I, I was like, oh, okay, this is normal. But just because of that wheel being a little bit bigger, it's not going to be a, as like as rigid, you know? For sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Definitely interesting. So I noticed on um, your site that you guys have a lifetime warranty on your newer wheel sets, but your older wheel sets, yeah. you had a, a five-year warranty. What was the change that you guys made where you were like, okay, we can be like lifetime now? Yeah. So um, the, the first thing I've mentioned is that we do offer lifetime on the older rims as well. Um, it just brings the price in alignment with the, with the newer rims. So I can't remember, depending on the rim, there's going to be a difference in cost between our legacy series oh, okay. and our sine wave series. Um, but uh, if people want the lifetime warranty with the 33, 36, or 38, hundred percent. It's just that extra 50 bucks to bring it up to the same price. So, um, oh, cool. you know, the That's main awesome. reason for the I, change. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I apologize if, if I, if I misled anybody on that. So. No, that's okay. In fact, you know, you mentioning that means I should probably talk to our uh, web team and figure out a way to make that more prevalent online. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, with I, I think, you know, in terms of the calculation of like lifetime warranty versus not lifetime, that was really just the function of the industry changing. You know, when those legacy rims were initially released, lifetime warranty just wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't a popular thing. And uh, obviously, some of the larger companies started offering it. And when that happens in pretty short order, smaller companies like us have to have to just keep up. And we've always stood behind our products. Um, I think we make exceptional products. And um, all of us here are proud to stand behind the work that we do every day. Um, so really, you know, moving to a lifetime warranty um, was a no brainer for us. It was just a matter of how do we price these rims so that the, there is a the lifetime warranty built into the product, which is the same with literally any product you have that's a lifetime warranty. There's always consideration of how much is this warranty going to cost us to, to potentially yeah. um, have to honor it's down math, the road. Man. Um, I mean, at the, end, at the yeah. end of the day, these are businesses and it's math. So it's like, hey, we offer this warranty and we think we're going to see yeah. 2% of these get returned over time. So yeah. let's cover that. And then the market yeah. that, you know, the guy buying the wheels is like, oh, this is sweet. They just gave it away. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you look at the cost, like between the between the legacy and the sine wave stuff, we're talking about like fifty bucks. Like it's not like you pay seven thousand yeah. dollars for a lifetime warranty. Um, so really, it it just came down to the fact that the industry was changing. People were moving toward lifetime warranty. We were able to recognize that obviously customers they're investing this amount of money in a wheel set. I mean, I love it when people come up to me and say like, "Oh, I bought these wheels," like I said with the truing. I, I just haven't thought about them. You know what I mean? Like oh, I've had them for three years. I just have not thought about them. I've never had any issues. And so when you're buying a wheel set for this price point um, and it's custom, you never have to worry about it. And if you have an issue with it, then we'll just help you fix it. You know what I mean? And so that, that was really important to us, but that's that, that's the main reason for the, for the different warranty, uh, the different warranties because they just kind of were released at different times, but uh, you can get lifetime on the, on the legacy stuff. It's just the same price. And then the, the lifetime warranty, is that like um, I run into my garage or is it like I break it riding? That's cool. But um, if I if I like melt it on my my muffler, then I'm getting crash replacement or something like that. How? how yeah. I mean, we've had you can imagine the types of stories we get from people for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the I think the way that it's worded on the website or whatever is like if you break your wheel riding your bike with the rims replaced at no charge to you. Um, mm. You know, I think that we've had people that have had, you know, accidents, you know, they back over it with their truck or whatever, that sort of thing. That actually happens maybe a little bit less than you'd expect. Um, in those cases, people are usually really honest and they're like, hey, yeah. man, like, sorry, but like my exhaust melted it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when that happens, like, I don't know, we, we usually go above and beyond. Like, I mean, it's, it happens so infrequently. Usually yeah. people are just like usually their bike is also broken. So they're like yeah. really sad. And so we did, we want to just, I want to keep people on the wheels. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to work something. Technically speaking, it would be a crash replacement, but yeah. you know, I mean, if someone, something has, but someone at the has end of the day, even offering that at the end of the day, even yeah. offering that, I mean, that's still a 50% wheel at that point. So um, yeah, like that's not really, uh, that that's a lot that's a lot better deal than than no deal at all you know <laughs> yeah. So. yeah yeah that's definitely true and i'm curious what your you know obviously it sounds like you've ridden a few carbon wheels i'm curious what your experience has been like with carbon over the years and um what i'm not sure if you're comfortable talking about what wheels you've yeah. ridden versus what you have and but um in terms of compliance stiffness and all that ride quality stuff like wheel to wheel are you noticing a huge change like between brand x and brand y and, and that sort of thing or is this are these just buzzwords you feel like people are throwing around i think some of it's buzzwords but i i definitely notice the difference um i'll say this i think that in the last five years my riding skill like the how hard i'm pushing has dramatically mm -hmm. changed and I think mm -hmm. when I first started, like my channel, for example, I was your typical weekend warrior type of rider. And um, I definitely was not like pushing the boundaries of, of like my, my hardware, you know? Sure. And uh, now I, I can say that, I mean, I've broke pretty much every wheel set that I've had. You know, where <laughs> so um, I don't feel like it's like, hey, quality is not as good. I feel like it's like, okay, Rob, you're a 250 pound guy, and you're you're smashing shit at you know, at, at the higher higher end of things. I'm no pro by any means, mm -hmm. but um, I definitely like if I look at my times, I'm in that like top 15 percent at least. Y you know what I mean? So yeah. so um, 
and that's relative. You know what I mean? Like if I was to go look at my times the day that we're doing a, a an enduro race in our local neighborhood, definitely not in the top 15%. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 But like on, on a regular ride to go out and ride somewhere, it's like typically, yeah, that's, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm following, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that uh, because of riding so much harder now that I am starting to see failures and stuff. So, you know, whenever I yeah. first started riding um, carbon, I had never really broken a aluminum wheel, you know what I mean? So when I started riding carbon though, I, I definitely noticed for me as a bigger guy, like how much more precise my, like my corners felt, like everything just felt sure. so like, so rigid and like locked in that I didn't realize that it was the wheels doing that, you know what I mean? And um, now I, I've definitely ridden a bunch of different wheels i i've been mostly on envy wheels for for the last mm -hmm. few years but um like i said to start like i've broke every set of wheels that i've had at least once yeah. you, you know what i mean and yeah. and um the only ones that i haven't so i've had envy i've had um some stands wheels and i had a, a set of night wheels and um and then whatever I've, you know, demoed on a bunch of different demo bikes. And mm -hmm. I will say that there's definitely a difference in compliance in some of the different brands. Like, I'd say when I first got on, like when Crank Brothers came out with those synthesis that was supposed to be yeah. their like super compliant ones, I thought that was a ride that I thought I was on aluminum wheel when I first started it. Wow. Or, okay. Yeah. I said something to my buddy who, whose bike I was borrowing. I was like, Oh, these are aluminum wheels. And he's like, nah, this is that new. So like, there's definitely a, a noticeable difference in like some compliance between one and another, but mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's like as dramatic as some people would like to like make it seem, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like when I've ridden Envy's AM, like all mountain wheel versus the, the like more enduro wheel. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like I got on the trail and was like, Oh my God, this one's like so cheap. It's like flexi. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I guess yeah. there's a difference, you know, definitely it's different. Like, you know, looking at the, the build of it and stuff. So, I mean, a logical mind would be like, this one's more beefy. It should be stronger. But, um, I think that there's so many good wheel sets out there now. I I yeah. think that what it really comes down to is for me is like a company that allows you to get what you want. So like having yeah. the, the flexibility like you guys do with your different hubs and stuff like that. And then it's the customer service. And um, that's the thing where there's certain companies where that customer service end of it or that like they really care about their riders end of it like is what makes me go to that company versus um somebody else like a good example is this helmet over here is cali is not the biggest you know baddest like sickest designed helmet you know what i mean there's some other ones that just look so much cleaner but but brad the founder of cali like i've never heard somebody so passionate about like people's safety as him mm -hmm. and it's like dude mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that makes me want to buy your product you know like maybe the fox fox full you know pro frame looks a little cooler but it's like nah, dude these guys like really mm -hmm. really like really care and and um that's the stuff that that 
means more to me, at least me personally. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent, man. I, that really resonates with me, and um, that's something we've always taken a ton of pride in here. It's just taking care of our people. We we just love talking to people about bikes. Like at the end of the day, I think if you have a company where everyone is passionate about bikes and like loves riding bikes, you know, it's 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 definitely not a surprise that that we're going to enjoy talking to people and and, and helping them um you know build build products that are specifically for them so um that that makes sense to me um it's um definitely something that we try to that we try to do every single day here for sure yeah i i've definitely feel feel like and and maybe it's more just because i've been riding so long at this point like i really have like opinions on all of my components like strong opinions mm-hmm. of, of what i want you know and Back whenever I was more of just like a weekend rider, I didn't really know the difference between a a low engagement hub and a high engagement hub or like, you know, what kind of of wheel that I was riding um, or even down to my bike, like whether I liked a Fox suspension versus a a rock shocks or something, you know? And nowadays it's like, I'm, I have a lot of opinions. So to go buy a bike, for example, that's just pre-built with everything on it. All it is, is a big list of shit that I'm like, not going to use that. I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to use that. So it's like either you're mentally like, Oh, I'm going to take all this stuff off. And whenever I sell it, it'll be there and brand new to put back on, or you're just going to build it the way that you want. And I think a company like yours or, or some of these like smaller brands, uh, bike brands like Commonsol or Fazari, where you can choose literally like your components and, and things of that nature, where you can minimize that, like what you have to replace stuff. I, I think that's that's just, that's the way to go in my opinion, because then you have something that you're, that you, you're, it's really what you wanted, you know? And so yeah. like you guys, you if I build this wheel set, you know, X wheel set with you guys, it's, you're, you're going to know that, Hey, if I switch frames, I'm going to put this wheel set on that frame too, because it's yeah, like, it's exactly. going to go along with it, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, I think the cool thing about it is it gives us an opportunity to talk to every type of customer. You know, we talk to people like you who are like, Hey man, I know what I like. I want this Onyx hub. I want this rim. Maybe we can give you a bit of advice on spoke type or something like that. Like if you're not quite mm-hmm. sure, but that customer knows what they want. We build it up. It's good to go. But it's also really amazing to talk to people that reach out and they're like, Hey, it's my first mountain bike, but I got some cash to invest in this thing. I, you know, for whatever reason, they want something premium out of the, you know, off the hop. Um, and they don't have the information and it's such an awesome opportunity for us to be able to share some of that info with them. Oh, well, what is engagement? I, I don't know what engagement is. Okay. Well, let's explain it to this person. Um, you know, we do, we've invested quite a bit in some, some dealer networking now, and we have distributors uh, internationally as well, but traditionally the business was D to C we were direct to customer for a lot of years. And while we're focusing on, uh, dealers a little bit more, no, a little bit more so now, um, what that allowed us to do is get really, really good at talking to customers about wheel set requests, warranties. You know, I, I think that, I, I, we, we, we pride ourselves in it a lot. If people, if people email us, if they call us, you don't get an email back like in two days. Like if you email us for a wheel set recommendation tonight, like someone will probably get back to you in the next, like I would say three to five hours most of the time. That's like, that's built into our service level agreement. I can't remember exactly what it says uh, online, mm-hmm. but I think it's something like within five hours, uh, we try to get back to everyone. Obviously there's some times where the volume's a little bit higher, but 
what I like about what you mentioned there is we can talk to people that know what they want, but we can also talk to people that might not know what they want and don't quite understand the technology yet um, mm -hmm. because then they're going to understand what the difference is in these components, why it makes a difference, and, and, and then potentially start to form a preference toward that as they move forward. And that's going to give you a stronger customer because now you've talked to someone, you've built up a lot of trust, um, you know, you've, you've helped them in their purchase, helped them in, in, in their education of biking products. Um, and, you know, next time they go to buy a wheel set, they're going to remember that every single time. And uh, we're able to talk to different types of customers. And, and that's what I like about it. Yeah. I mean, people don't, I mean, a lot of people don't know, like, hey, do I want a 24 hole or do I want a 32? You, you know, like, do you, do you guys make both yeah. or so something like that? How would you explain the difference in quality or ride between those two different like spoke counts? Yeah, so I think that uh, for all of our sine wave rims, like all of our mountain sine wave rims, at least they're 32 roll only. Uh, sorry, minus the, we do like an XC trail rim, which is the TR32 and TR35. And those are 28 mm -hmm. hold only. So, you know, there's a lot that's of that's what I meant to say. Thank you. <laughs> 28 hold only, yeah. yeah. Uh, the road and gravel stuff we do in 24 hole as well. Uh, uh -huh. For the mountain stuff, we're primarily 28 hole and 32 hole. And the 28 hole uh, traditionally is lighter, obviously, because there's less spokes. Um, so we do that in the TR32 and TR35. Whereas the 37 and 41 we do in 32 hole. So traditionally speaking, the 32 hole is going to be a little bit heavier for a, you know, a stronger, uh, stronger, you know, more durable wheel, stiffer wheel. Whereas the 28 hole is going to be a little more lightweight. Um, but, you know, all that being said, there's all these other weird things to consider too. Like, you know, that people don't tend to think about what's, well, if you have 32 holes, that means you have more holes in the hub flange. That means you have more holes in the rim. So all these little things add up. Um, I think what we've found on balance for us is that 28 hole really, really works well for like XC light trail riding and 32 mm -hmm. hole is what we go to for, you know, all mountain enduro BH kind of gravity style riding. Yeah. I've talked to another wheel company. I don't remember which one it was, but they were saying that they thought the 28 hole was a stronger wheel because it had less holes in the, in the wheel. Like, yeah, but then sure. I've talked to other wheel companies and, and they're like, no 32 for sure. So it's like, it seems like that's like a, like it's up for debate, you know? Yeah. It's a contentious subject. And there's, there's, there's a million different ways you can kind of slice it too. Right. Because not only are you talking about how many, you know, spokes there are, you're talking about what, how, what, what's the gauge of the spokes? Are they a bladed spoke? We build with a bladed spoke. We build with kind of a nice all round spoke and we build with a Supreme race spoke, which is kind of our thickest, stiffest gauge spoke that we use. So if we're talking about a 28 hole race spokes, you know, that's going to be stiffer in some cases than a 32 hole bladed spoke, right? So um, what we try to do here is make recommendations to people based on what they're, that, that's why I hate the model of what wheel do you want? We have five, you know, we don't, yeah. like, how do you want this to feel? We can do it. You know what I mean? That, mm -hmm. that, that's the, we, we just like to say yes to things. Um, and we found that between 28 hole and 32 hole and 24 on the road gravel stuff, we can build an ideal wheel for almost every single rider. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's just, um, I mean, like I said, I have some opinion, but I don't have all the opinion on, on that stuff. And, and it's good to be able to have yeah. a builder or in this case, like you're dealing direct with the, the manufacturer, like, Hey, figure that part out for me. I want it to feel like this, you know, like yeah. that, that's awesome. So we yeah. were talking about the warranty earlier and, um, how does, how does it work? Like if I foobarred my wheel, should I go to a bike shop or should I just call you guys and then I'm supposed to ship it to you? Or how, how does, how does that work mm -hmm. out? 
Yeah, so I mean, it can really work however you want it to work, I would say. Um, obviously, some people have purchased our wheels through a shop, which is great. Um, in some cases, uh, they'll have purchased it directly through us. So there's kind of, we have those two different avenues that people could purchase wheels through us. Um, if you buy it from us or through a shop, you can fulfill the warranty pretty much however you want to. Some people love to go to the bike shop. They don't want to touch anything. They just bring the wheel back to the shop. That bike shop's a dealer. They facilitate the warranty. And, you know, typically what will end up happening is we'll end up sending a replacement rim to the shop. The shop will do the rest and hand it back to the customer. Uh, what's more common is that we'll deal. And what, what I actually really like doing is, is dealing directly with customers. Um, just because, again, we've just have so much experience in doing it. Um, and I think we've gotten really good at talking about the technical aspects of what we, what we do with people. Um, so if you say you had a Nova rim, you had an issue, you had a, a crash or you cased something really badly and you broke your rear rim, noblewheels.com, you go to support. There's like a warranties thing like, kind of one of the first little tabs there there's just a form there all you have to do is just name email address i think you have to put your order number in or something like that if you don't have your order number we can look up your name like it's not um not set in stone but uh, for the most part it's pr fairly minimal information we do ask that people send a picture of the serial number on the rim which is right on the rim bed um mm -hmm. and then once that's done we just process the warranty and from that point we can handle it however people would like to handle it um a lot of people are trying to get back on their bike as fast as possible which basically means we usually dispatch a rim out to them like next day or you know within 48 hours kind of thing down to the location once the rim arrives there they would take it to a local builder or a local shop or you know some some folks like to build it up themselves if they have the skill to do that um if, if people want us to do the rebuild for them we can absolutely do that too we get them to ship the get the ship get them to ship the rim into us uh and then we facilitate the rebuild and ship the rim uh, ship to finish would the you, wheel back up to them too would, would you have them ship the whole like broken wheel or just like cut the hub out and send it back or would you be because i would make the assumption you're probably not going to reuse any of the spokes yeah, I mean, it really depends. It's such a case by case scenario. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, if the wheel is like two months old or something like that, most of those folks are probably mint and good to use again. So what yeah. we would what we would probably do in that case um, is either get the customer to ship the whole wheel if they wanted to. Um, but uh -huh. most of the time, say it's an older rim, someone's had it for like two, three years. We know we're not going to reuse the spokes. We'll just get them to chop the wheel send us the hub or whatever um and then we'll basically do the rebuild for them and, and ship it back down if they want us to build it we love to build the wheels because that's what we're you know that's what we're spe we specialize in um mm -hmm. we can as you mentioned earlier we can control the process we know exactly the build quality um that that we're getting when we build it um so we love to do that but at the same time we totally respect that customers want to get back on their bike as soon as possible um and oftentimes that just means like even today, like we got, we got a warranty claim yesterday, the wheels, the rims off the door today kind of thing. So um, it's very rare. Like we prioritize the, uh, warranties above and beyond pretty much everything else. Um, if someone's got a problem with the product, we need to fix it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. do, do you guys use um, some kind of proprietary rim strip or, or is it just like whatever tape, you know, somebody feels like they're, they're into? Yeah. Or? We've been using, so in the shop here, um, we were using like a black Tessa style tape, which worked really, really well. But uh, over the last six months, you'd be blown away um, by how uh, much trouble people tend to have, like the average person tends to have with, with tubeless setups. Um, so a lot of times people will use tire levers to install their tire, or whatever reason, they'll, they'll scrape the tape up and then it won't seal properly and then you know obviously that's another thing that we that we need to walk people through and make sure that that's up and running properly so in the interest of just like making sure it was mint and we didn't have anyone no one would have a problem with it regardless of 
of what they're doing for the most part. We've moved to using PD's rim tape, or PD's rim tape system. Um, and it's actually like a three layer, layer system that we're doing. Um, so we're, we're doing like one layer over the holes um, of, a, of a very like an ultra thin Tessa tape, the PD's tape, which comes complete with like, not only kind of a one rim strip, but it also has almost like a gorilla tape style tab that folds over. So since we moved to that system, maybe eight months ago, I think maybe we've had one person have an issue with sealing, um, which is uh, night and day what we were what we were dealing with before. So every finished wheel here leaves completely taped and felt. Hmm. Right on. I'll have to check that that system out. I've never seen seen it or actually even heard of it. To tell you the truth, so it's just like a, yeah. a couple of different layers that you throw on there. Yeah. So I mean, their system alone is basically the PD's tape system, which you'll you'll probably see on Instagram. I can I can shoot you some 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 photos later. But it's like a it's a really it's a really nice looking tape. It's like it's translucent, but it's got the PD's logo on it uh, in chrome, uh, and that goes all the way around. And then what they do are the two tabs meet at the top of the wheel. Is they have this like other piece of it. It looks like Gorilla tape, but it's proprietary tape that like is mm -hmm. perfectly fit depending on the width, and it just kind of seals up those two tabs there. Um, in addition to that, though, we also do add our, 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 another single layer of like ultralight Tessa tape underneath the PD's tape, just so that it's like completely sealed. Say you're going in there, like, you know, you're using like a tire lever or something like that to get your tire on there. You bring up a bit of the PD's tape by accident. You're still going to be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys in the comments is like, I don't use levers. I don't know how the hell you don't use levers, man. I, <laughs> I got like little baby hands or something, man. Cause I'm just like. That Kushcore tool that that they sell, it looks like. Uh, <laughs> well, we won't talk about what it looks like. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> that thing is amazing. <laughs> oh my god, I I, um, I I love that tool because I am definitely one of those people that like highly relies on on a lever to get a, a wheel on. But I don't know. I think it's some yeah, rims yeah. though too. Some rims are easier than others to get get tires yeah. in and off of. Um, I don't know if that yeah. comes down to like what they're like bead system is or something like that or yeah it think? could it could be that i mean it's a lot of times it's the depth but really i think what we're talking about most of the time when it comes to mountain um when it comes to mountain wheels is the tire itself to be honest like if you yeah. try to install a dh casing ask a guy on like a tr38 versus like an exo casing like it's night and day man like i've yeah. i've been just struggled to, like those thicker casing tires especially the first time you put them on man they can be really really hard especially if you're using an insert like like you know cush core tannis or something like that it can be like i don't know yeah i've thrown a few tires across the garage i'll, I'll put it that yeah. way but um yeah in terms of the like in terms of the lever conversation i think that's just like repeat you know what our our, lead, our warehouse lead here chris has uh been a really really like a solid mechanic for years and years that guy can just put a tire on without even like touching it like i don't even know what he's yeah. doing but it's like, it's mounted. Everything's completely straight. Yeah. Like I struggle with mine for 20 minutes and then the logo doesn't line up and I, yeah. you know what I mean? I have to redo the whole thing. So I think it's just repeat, you know, you repeat it enough that, uh, that you get good at yeah. it or whatever. Yeah. I got a buddy that works at a shop and he'll like hold it and he's like pushing his hands around and it's like pops right on. I'm like, you're a freaking asshole, man. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> like, what is I don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, I just noticed Robert, I just noticed that I didn't even know I had access to the comments here. Holy smokes. This oh, is a yeah. whole new Yeah, this yeah. This is a whole don't, new world of comments. Don't don't, don't worry about that over there. Honestly, I I enjoy people watching live and and what I'll do is I'll, yeah. I'll 
take a look if something really grabs my attention. But for the most part, I don't want it to take away from our, our conversation. So, but um, sure. yeah, stoked that you saw that. Um, those those thicker tires are definitely um, make a make a bit more work, and the inserts add to it as well. So, um, I know a lot of companies have maybe started to change their rim profiles because of of pinch flats or they're trying to say maybe oh you don't need inserts or something like that is there any kind of, of change in your newer wheels like that 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 um kind of combats the the pinch flat kind of thing or yeah i don't i don't really know i mean if, i think if you're running the right pressure you shouldn't really have an issue with pinch flats um do you have i mean i'm not sure what your, your experience has been like but um you know i think that we don't get a lot of customers from, from what I've seen. And I, and I, I always keep an eye on the customer service stuff. We don't hear a lot about that too much. So maybe, maybe our rim profiles is set up well for that. But I, yeah. uh, I, I think that if you're, if you're running the right pressure, I, I don't think that should be too much of a challenge. Um, is your question more about the pinch flatting or more about, about inserts in general? I think um, you answered just fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I don't think I had a real solid direction of where I was going with that. I was just trying sure. to see. Cause I, I know like, like envy, for example, they have a rim strip and they're yeah. like big, big claim on that is like, Hey, you'll never get a pinch flat where, like you said, I never really had a pinch flat problem in the first place, but I think yeah. part of that marketing is also that um, they're like, Hey, you don't need to have a, an insert. Because a lot of guys sure. are buying inserts really just for like rim protection. And, yeah. um, but that's not what everybody rides an insert for. Like me personally, if I'm riding an insert, it yeah. 100% has to do with the sidewall stiffness and not yeah. rim protection. Like I really don't care about the rim protection at all. Like um, yeah. I, I want that like super stiff sidewall. So, but on the other hand, that's a balancing act. So like, I don't really feel the need for my cush core as much if I'm running a downhill casing as yeah, I do sure. if I'm running yeah. like an EXO plus. Right. But it's like, yeah. you know, you could have that same feeling and a little bit of a lighter tire. So, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's really like, kind of like what, what kind of, what kind of like stew do you want to brew up in the cauldron? You know what I mean? Yeah. And how complicated do you want to make your setup? Right. Like I, I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Obviously, being in the the wheel business, I have a, I have an opinion about inserts, and it it might not be the the right one. But to everyone that kind of works in in this business, um, because they're part of the system, it's something that uh, that you know everyone probably has a thought or two about. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's an awesome use case for inserts, in my opinion, um, and the use case for me is sidewall stiffness and, and increased damping. Um, yeah. For sure, I've run Core, I've run Tannis. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind, railing through corners, pushing through corners um, at slightly lower tire pressures, you're going to have way, like you're going to have a definitely a, a stiffer sidewall for sure. Um, even if you, you know, even versus I would say, you know, something like BH or a double down casing. Um, you know, I, I could say pretty plainly that I, I personally don't believe that those inserts offer much rim protection, um, if any. Uh, maybe they yeah. do. I know that, I know that, I know that, um, there's a, there's a lot of advertising and marketing to suggest that they do from what we've seen in our data and our testing. If you're going to break your wheel, um, 
it's and it's not going to matter if there's if there's an instrument there for the, for the most part. I mean, I yeah. I can't say that definitively, um, but I think most of the time, if people are trying to protect their rim, uh, it's more about uh, tire casing, in my opinion, and uh, most importantly, air pressure. Um, yeah. I think one of the biggest dangers with with inserts is that a lot of guys that are my size, you know, I'm 215 pounds, uh, ride fairly aggressively. You know, oh, I, you know, what do you run in your rear? Oh, I run 28 in the back. Okay, great. Oh, I put in a cush core and I'm running 21. And it's like, yeah, but like, you know, you can, I think it says something like on their website, like you can incrementally like drop 0.5, but you know, something like that. Yeah. But a lot, we see, we see a lot of customers that they put an insert in and they run 10 less PSI because, you know, it, it feels better, but it's, you're not, you're riding on the rim, right? Which is not really the, the way yeah. that, it's, that it's kind of meant to be designed. Um, but for pinch flats, man, you make a great point. I think the, the um, I think that the actual like the sidewall and the tire compound and um, that that's a huge part of it for sure. Yeah, I've seen another company too. I can't remember who it was to not just like put envy out there. There was another company that just recently they changed their the width of the like I don't know what you call like the sides of the rim. Um, yeah, like like. Like where the brake pads used to hit back in the day, you know, like they yeah, changed yeah, the yeah. width. Like the of, yeah, they changed the width of that so that it's a little more blunt than it is like yeah. skinny. So that way, if if yeah. you do hit hard that way, that it's less like or at least the marketing says it's less likely to to pinch flat. Um, but for, sure. for me, I, I I think the reason that I don't know I. I'm a bigger guy, so I've always run much higher pressures than most people. So yeah. maybe I'm overinflating my tires, but that's what I feel like I need to do in order to like not roll it. And um, yeah, what are you running in the back then? Like, what would you run typically? You know, say it's a to say it's a typical kind of trail enduro setup. Pretty normally, I'm probably like 28. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, if I was with Kushcore in my wheel, like I might go. Or depending on the trail, like if I know it's not super chunky, I'll maybe drop down yeah. to like 25. I, I feel mm -hmm. like my front tire, I, I, I will always obviously go a little lower on my front just because you're not you're not smashing that the same way. Plus it has a you yeah, know, the for sure. on it. So like maybe my, my if my rear is 28, my fr front's probably 25. And then if I'm dropping the rear down, then it's going to go to maybe 25 in the front to like 23 or something like that. But yeah. guys that are like, 18 on regular wheels i'm like holy shit dude how do you do that like i just would like yeah i would feel like the wheel the, the tire is just gonna rip off the rim in my corner you know yeah for sure yeah absolutely yeah. um yeah i think i usually am like 28 in the back 20 26 25 at the front for the most part yeah 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 it's um it's crazy how much uh a couple of PSI will make on a, on a trail though. It, it really is just the, the other day we were riding this trail at, um, getting a little bit loose, you know, and kind of dry. And my buddy and I both were like, man, cause we drove up there as higher elevation. We're like, we're probably running, we're probably a little high, you know? And mm -hmm. neither one of us had the, had, had a gauge on us and we both kind of let some air out. And, and both of us at the bottom were like, Oh my God, that felt so much better. It was crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely something to be said for those of you out there that haven't played around with your pressures. Definitely do that. Um, yeah, know that, you know, obviously the lower you get, the the more option you have for messing something up. But it, it definitely had, there's a sweet spot. And I think it, it depends on the rider though, too. Because um, yeah. 
I mean, some guys like their wheels like super hard. They're like, I don't even care. I run 35 PSI. And you're like, yeah. I don't know how you do that. We got a couple of those but, around here for sure, man. We got a yeah, couple of yeah. those around here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um kind kind of kind of crazy, but I mean, like I said, to, to each their own. I think, you know, obviously it has to do with where you ride as well. You know, mm-hmm. some places that have a lot of, of square edge rocks, you're definitely going to be typically running a higher like PSI than somebody where that's like, yeah, we ride in the loom all day. That's just awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. And I mean, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, like we get a ton of rain here. So in the winter, I'm often running lower PSI than I, than I will be in the summer, but I'm also riding slower. Um, like I went out yesterday and it's been, it's been really dry here for the last two, three weeks. Um, and like, I felt like I didn't know how to ride a bike and I was like, what's happened here? Like, I just feel like a total kook on this thing. And, uh, I realized after the fact, when I looked at my Strava times, um, it was actually just because I was so, it was, it was dry and it was so fast. I was riding much faster than I was used to riding when it was wet a few weeks ago. Um, so as, you know, as soon as it gets wetter here, there's a lot of, you know, uh, root, root clusters and really slippery rocks. And that's when it's a good time to knock it down too, because uh, you obviously want that extra traction um, on those rainy days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's definitely like it's it's funny because in northern and here in Northern California, you know, we'll have a, a, let's just call it a a, a wet season, and uh, mm-hmm. the trails are are much better dirt and everything like that. And then come spring it's like you feel like you forgot how to ride bike because everything gets so dry and loose you can't break the same and and it's just like you feel like you take a step back for a couple of weeks until your brain like re re associates with riding like that and then come august you know your friends will come from somewhere else and they just don't understand how you're riding like as fast as you are on no traction and then um, yeah yeah you just go through this process of getting spoiled and forgetting again over the winter so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so um what what do you think or what is the the most popular wheel that you guys sell yes i'd, I'd say for sure the the most popular rim we sell is the tr37 um i put that rim firmly in the you know kind of like aggressive trail all mountain enduro category um we do have enduro racers on the ews circuit that, that are riding it um so I, I, it works really, really well for a wide variety of riders. Um, as an example, I, I rode that on my Forbidden Druid before. Um, I currently have a set with bird spokes on my Transition Spur, which is like more of an XC, like light trail bike. Um, mm-hmm. I've made the choice to, to, to bump up to a 38 or a 41, depending on the day, um, on my Dreadnought, which is like my bigger bike. Uh, but the TR37 works really, really well for most riders. I would say that people could you know, versus like an aluminum rim, it's obviously going to offer some, some, some pretty significant weight savings. Um, but the profile works really, really well for, for tires from, you know, 2.3 to 2.6 inches wide. Um, you know, not just enduro tires, but even just trail tires are going to work really, really well on it. Um, and I think it's just going to perform well. Like someone, as an example, if they're a trail rider, they could go out, they could go do an XC race on it. Um, they could go out the next day and like, you know, do some laps at the bike park. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they're like a gravity specific or like a gravity oriented rim. Um, but for sure it's, it's definitely a most versatile offering. Yeah. So when, when, um, the, the different models of the tires, it's your, it seems like as you get into like 
further away from XC and closer to downhill, the internal yeah. diameter or internal width gets wider and wider. What's that reason? Yeah. I mean, so there, you could have an argument about whether or not that's warranted. Like, yeah, I think that like everything else in the industry or like really any industry, things start getting wider and there's probably a sweet spot that you get to. And then people like push farther. Um, you know, I think with, with anything gravity related, uh, anything where you're, you know, going at speed downhill and descending, you know, the, the argument for a larger tire is going to be traction and control, right? You're going to have more surface contact with the ground, which means you're going to be able to corner more effectively, brake more effectively. That's where your bike meets the ground. So I think that's why people are trending toward wider tires. At some point, though, it becomes, um, I think it becomes... Um, counterintuitive like as an example if you saw someone like trying to rip a dh track on a fat bike like they probably wouldn't be going that fast right because the tires mm -hmm. become too big so um who's i think it's really about personal preference um you know and i also think there's something to be said about rim width that that really plays into things too as an example if you say you have like a 2.5 inch front tire okay a 2.5 inch asagai which a lot of people run out here in the pacific northwest if you put that tire on a tr37 versus a tr41 you know, the internal width is about five millimeters difference, right? So there's going to be a huge difference in the tire profile on those two rims. So you could put the exact same tire on two different rims. The TR41, which is wider, is going to have a more squared off profile versus the 37 that's going to have a rounder, uh, more traditional tire profile. And really that's going to come down to, to rider preference. Some people want to have the knobs on the side. Whereas some people want to have that wider profile and I can't, uh, I couldn't say with any confidence what's, what's better, but I do know that they ride differently. They feel different out on the trail. Um, so I think that if I had to guess, I would say that I can't see, I don't think that in two years, people are going to be running 2.8 front tires. Like out here in the PNW, it's not uncommon to see 2.5 up front, 2.3 in the back maybe 2.6 up front, 2.4 in the back or like whatever it is. I don't think in two years we're going to see 2.8, 2.6. I, I just, I could be wrong. Uh, I've been wrong before, but uh, I, I think that we're probably going to, I feel like with bike geometry right now um, and with tire width, I think those are two areas that we're probably going to see things remain relatively static um, because I think they've hit, we've hit the sweet spot as far as I'm concerned. Um, all that being said, you know what I mean? Like maybe in a couple of years, you can call me up and be like, hey man, just bought 2.8s for my front. Like all these bikes are coming spec with them now. Um, but I, I, I think that we've kind of hit the sweet spot there. Right on, man. Well, um, I I think that, that, you know, that that's obviously something that a lot of people, you know, struggle with. Like, what should I get? What's best for what I do? So, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. it sounds like if they call you guys up, you guys will be able to square them away, so. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the idea for us is we just, we love talking to people about bikes. We love building wheels. Um, I think we build a really great product. And uh, like I said, we pick up the phone, we answer emails. Um, everything we do is custom. Nothing's pre-built. Um, if folks are interested in hearing more about the wheels, we would love for them to shoot us an email, give us a call and uh, really happy to set up something that's custom for every customer. Um, that's going to fit exactly what they're looking for. Right on, man. Well, hey, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. And it really means a lot. And um, like excited to maybe take a look at some of your wheels in the future and get, give them a ride yeah. myself. So. But 
Yeah, we got to some wheels in your hands, man. You didn't you didn't yeah. scare me off with all the broken wheel stories. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Let's do the Pepsi challenge. <laughs> all right, there you go. Well, I, I like I said, really appreciate talking to you. It was really fun learning a little bit about Noble and and, and what you guys are doing over there and, and what's different. So any of you out there listening, if you haven't taken a look at their website, go ahead and swing over there. It's noblewheels.com. Pretty simple. It's in the uh, show notes. If you're on YouTube, same thing to do with the podcast. Like I said at the beginning of the show, give me a follow on Instagram or Facebook while you're over there checking out Noble Wheels. You could do the same for them. Really appreciate all of you supporters out there on Patreon. It means a ton to me. It really, really keeps the show 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 on the road so thank you very much um at the end of the day though there's one thing to remember it only takes a bike to be a biker get out and be one <laughs>